Thank you, Randy. Appreciate that, my friend. Hello, Church at the Red Door. Um, hope your Christmas was extraordinary. Now, I know some of you weren't able to travel as you may have normally traveled, and maybe some of you, uh, I know for a fact, a number of couples who said, you know, this is kind of the first time we've ever spent a Christmas alone by ourselves without family, and you know, our hearts go out for all of us who weren't able to maybe gather as we uh, would have liked. I know my parents were planning a trip out and uh, over the last month and haven't been able to get out. So, it's a, you know, that's kind of a hold back. But still, that doesn't mean we can't celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. So hopefully that was your experience. I got to tell you, my Christmas was extraordinary. And uh, I want to tell you one of the reasons it was extraordinary outside of celebrating with uh, the, you know, our girls are still here in town and and uh, their husbands. And so we did have kind of a, a gathering and a, and a meal or two, uh, which was fantastic. But I had the privilege, and I want to kind of share, you know, this is, we ha I haven't baptized a lot of people over the last uh, six months. Uh, normally, I'm just kind of, it's kind of a constant process of baptizing people. But on Christmas Day, I had the absolute privilege. So many of you know, uh, we'll know Sonny and Pat Burnett, part of the Church of the Red Door community. Uh, they are precious, precious friends of not only the church, but then Laura and my myself, uh, re respectively. And so uh, when they, he, Sonny called me and said, hey, uh, I've got family down, and I just wanted to tell you this story a little bit. They, uh, they had come, and they started to gather with us over uh, over the summer because of COVID, and, and uh their granddaughter had kind of been furloughed and some other things had happened. So Pat just started cooking some big breakfasts and they started watching Church on the Red, uh, Church of the Red Door online. And here then they came down to celebrate uh, Christmas with family and four decided to get baptized. Uh, and it was Riley and Chase and Ron and Darla, all, all four, a uh, couple of recommitments um, released to Jesus and then to uh, awesome thing. So I had the privilege on Christmas Day of uh, four baptisms right down at Sonny and Pat's home here in La Quinta. So uh, anyway, that was an exciting, that was that was a super highlight for me for Christmas Day and uh, getting to think about four people uh, making commitments into the kingdom uh, and into uh, exactly what Jesus had come to set up, which was this extraordinary new life. Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I hope you'll celebrate with me uh, over Christmas Day. So are you ready to proceed? We have now gone two weeks into this temptation of Jesus. As I alluded to last week, I had felt compelled in my spirit that we shouldn't just jump and say, okay, the temptations, you know, fight temptation and go on, uh, even though we're making our way through the Gospel of Luke. But felt compelled in my heart to really give you some very specific, and we're calling this kind of a toolkit for temptation, some very specific go-to verses for different areas. Again, so just as a kind of a uh, going back and looking at what we've done so far, three primary categories that I have kind of labeled appetites, shiny things, and throne grabbing, which were the three categorical temptations, both in the garden, with Adam and Eve, and then also as we move forward into the temptations of Jesus. And I think these are kind of the broad sweeping categories. And then I have uh, kind of come up with what I'm just calling some subcategories, especially with appetites and even more so in throne grabbing, kind of some subcategories of things we can break down and then verses that you can have uh, in your arsenal 
to be able to say yourself, it is written, and then quote either all or portions of these scriptures, and that is your sword. That is your sword. Again, what we looked at last week. So you ready for this? We're going to continue. We kind of finished up appetites last week, looked at, you know, overeating and lust and sloth and things. And so this week we're going to press on into shiny things. But before we do, I want to give you a couple of verses that just kind of want to get you emboldened to say, okay, this is my life. This is what, this is what I'm committing myself to, especially. So you want to, you want a New Year's resolution? I, you will not find a better New Year's resolution then I'm going to commit myself to Christ. And as a result, I'm going to suffer as he suffered. Part of his cross was temptation. Paul was part, it's just like us. He was, uh, he was tempted in every way we are and yet without sin. Paul in his letter to the Jewish community, the Hebrews, was exactly specific on that point in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. So we're going to press forward, but I want you to think about two Verses specifically, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Just going to kind of get you, we're going to lay this foundation, then we're going to move right into shiny things this morning, the temptation of shiny things. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Okay, this is what we're doing as we go through this verse by verse by verse. Be diligent to show yourself approved to God. What? As a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. Your ability to handle that sword. That's absolutely key that you're able to handle it, not just to have heard it, not to have heard a sermon years ago and kind of remember it and recollect a little bit, to have at your disposal at any moment, at any second, the, your ability to, to wield this sword in battling temptation. And then secondly, I want to I want you to go to 1 Peter and I want to read a couple of verses here because I I want to give you another uh, picture as to what is going what is actually going on during temptation. So 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'm going to start here. Of course, this starts with humility in verse 6. Humble yourselves, 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. In other words, get your wits about you, uh, become sane about things and reality and spiritual forces and, and the entire world of the kingdom. And okay, get become sane, humble yourself, ex- understand that the word speaks about dimensions we cannot see. Humble yourselves, understand, and then move on. And then it says, be sober of spirit. And be on your alert. This is much of what we're talking about as we spend this time in these go-to verses. What? Be on your alert. Your adversary, adversary, and that's all Satan means, by the way. Satan means adversary. And usually the article, the, the adversary. We call we actually use that as a proper noun, and the, our Bibles do now as we've gone through the translations. But if you go back into some of the uh, early translations uh, in the Hebrew Bible, Satan is not a proper noun. It is the Satan or Satan. It's the adversary. And we've kind of a, a given him that name. But we, Satan, what we would call Satan, the devil, this roaring lion we're about to look at, has never really been named specifically other than kind of this, uh, Tim Mackey calls it a collage, a mosaic, if you will, of pictures. The dragon, the serpent, uh, uh, all, all these pictures, a fallen star, 
um, the devil, uh, diabolos uh, in the Greek, uh, Lucifer in Latin, uh, Satan, the adversary, the accuser, diabolos, uh, the slanderer. I mean, all these is kind of, these are images uh, of, of Satan, but not specifically given a name other than just this is our adversary. He is anti-creation. Everything God does in creation, bringing order, he tries to disassemble and bring chaos, okay? So our adversary, the diabolos, the devil, which is the slanderer, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone <clears throat> to devour. Okay, so this actually goes all the way back uh, to Genesis in, in the fall, and, and, then, and then when we get Cain and Abel. And let me just read this real quickly. I hadn't intended to do this, but Genesis chapter 4, we can see this same thing. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, after Cain is upset because God doesn't regard his, his offering. He brings a fruits and vegetables offering, not a blood sacrifice. And then God says to him, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Speaking to Cain. And if you do not do well, sin is what? Crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. So we get a picture of sin in this crouching like a lion. That's what happens when a big cat gets ready to pounce. It crouches, it gets down so it can explode onto its, onto its target. This is exactly, again, the same picture we're getting here. A, the devil like a roaring lion. In other words, a kind of a picture, an image of a crouching and ready at any moment to attack a victim. And we must, what is Peter saying here to the church? We must resist firm in our faith. We have to resist. That's what we're talking about these several weeks. We are in the process of resisting. Verse 9 says, resist him, this crouching lion uh, that's all the way from Genesis in the garden, all the way we see him as the dragon and everything else in in chapter 12, he's actually named four different things, given four different images of this adversary, this slander, this, uh, this creation. He is a created being that is trying to bring disorder and chaos into the world. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering, that people are being tempted. Think about it this way. Have you ever thought, I suffer when I'm tempted and I fight against it, it's suffering. I don't just suffer when I physically have pain. I mean, that's suffering. Or when someone calls out my name and slanders me or something like that. But when I am tempted, it is a process of suffering. He says the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. All followers of Jesus are going to be tempted and they are going to suffer uh, one way or the other. You can suffer through it and then see life explode onto the scene and orderliness, or you can suffer and give into it and bring allow chaos to be brought into the world through your own uh, resistance to God's spirit. And after, and then verse 10, it says, and after you have suffered, after you've been tempted and you're successful through this, now catch it, for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, 
confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So God himself, after we have suffered through and successfully walked through many of the temptations that come our way, we resist this crouching lion that was in the garden and has been bringing chaos into the world from from that moment forward. When we resist, when we suffer, what God does through that is he perfects, he confirms, he strengthens, and he establishes us. Now, what does that mean? Well, you become effective in the kingdom. You become mature in your faith. You can actually have a profound impact on those around you as you successfully navigate temptation by it is written, by the word, by Jesus, and trusting in his power of of the word. Jesus is the word. As we trust in this, we have an ability to then have a profound effect. This goes back to our what we talked about last week. We want to be pleasing to him and we want to be successful in our calling. We want life. That's the reason we're doing this. We folks, we have to get away from the childish and immature picture of sin. Well, boys will be boys, you know. Well, I kind of fell yesterday, you know. But you know, Jesus died on the cross and his blood will cover my sin and all that's true. But we take a cavalier attitude about the spiritual forces of wickedness that are trying to completely um, slay us, destroy us, a roaring lion seeking someone that he might devour them. Now, he may not be able to devour you in an eternal sense because Christ's blood covers you, but he can radically make you ineffective and lose your way and And even more importantly, I'll talk about it a little bit later, even more importantly, bring chaos and disorder into the world around you, which affects many other people. So again, this is not just about us and our little petty sins and, you know, well, God will forgive us and uh, all that. We have to move away from that attitude and say, no, I choose to suffer through this temptation and, and fight against it so that I can be perfected. So I'll be effective in the kingdom, be fruitful, so I can be confirmed by God. In other words, his calling uh, to make it, to confirm it, to say, look what God has done in this person's life. It's evident to everybody to strengthen us so we can actually go back into a hurting world and to establish us so that we may stand firm and be players, if you will, in God's economy and not sideline observers and maybe even and this is the horror, a stumbling block to those who might try to enter because we fail so often when it comes to temptation. All right? So again, I want to just lay that foundation for you this morning and say, look, there is deep meaning and purpose in what we're doing. This is, we cannot, again, as I said earlier, we cannot take a cavalier attitude about the unseen forces that want to destroy us. And that's the language that's used. A roaring, lying, seeking someone to devour. All right, so you ready to press on? We're going to talk about shiny things. We talked about appetites last week. I want to talk to you just a little bit about shiny things. Now, if we go back, and I, again, this is, these are my terms, shiny things, but the second temptation 
uh, for Jesus when he was in the wilderness of the three that were at least uh, described. Uh, he was 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. He may have had many more temptations other than these three, but I, again, I think these three represent three primary categories. And if you'll remember, Satan takes him up and, and he looks out and shows him, and it's an imagine, in his imagination, all the kingdoms of the world. So Jesus is picturing through this attack, through this temptation, all the kingdoms. And Satan says, look, if you'll bow down to me, I'm going to give you everything that you want, that you see. Now, it was important that he was able to see in his imagination. Now, think of what comes with all the kingdoms of the world being under your power. Now, we've seen, uh, you know, tyrants. You always, uh, I like to go back on the History Channel and things and watch you know, the Hitlers and the Saddam Husseins and, the, and all these uh, guys, and we learn a lot even about now about uh, different leaders who pad their pockets, have, you know, piles of cash. You'll remember, again, I've alluded to it before with Saddam Hussein. They broke into the walls of the palace and there were stacks and stacks, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars uh, put in the walls, you know. I mean, it, they were padding themselves. It, so with power, with control, comes the ability to control resources and people and places and do exactly what you want whenever you want and, uh, and, and go and have and everything that your eye sees. Nothing with money, you can just pretty much have anything you want, any shiny thing. So we're going to look at this in terms of uh, the pursuit, the pursuit of wealth and materialism as an end to itself. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, again, we live in a material world. Uh, I'm wearing material clothes today. I mean, I could have, uh, whatever I paid for this, I could have paid less, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I got it on sale for 75 bucks. Well, maybe I could have found one for 50. I mean, there's always a place where we can try to go to a place that I don't think God's calling us to go to. It's not that we can't have uh, nice things, quality things. It's not about that. Uh, we can't judge one another. Some have made it, uh, you know, a, a lot of money uh, in their lives, and they are the wealthy. And the Bible talks about the wealthy, and we'll look at that in a minute. And others, but there is a drive in some that they just cannot say no. It's an endless cycle of everything they see they must possess, and that's what we're calling shiny things, and that's what Satan was tempting Jesus with. And it's what he tempted Eve with. It looked good to her. Those things that just look good. Well, I just want it. That looks great. If I had that, I'd be happy. You know, if I could upgrade in this area, I'd be happy. If I could have this or that or that, anything in the world, anything that my eye sees, anything that has a shine to it, I've just got to have it. And when that becomes an end unto itself, we run into great problems. I want it to, again, okay, what are the go-to verses? Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, this is Jesus, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So what are we doing? Again, so how might we, maybe a difficult verse to quote in its entirety, but what might you say in that moment where you just sense that the Holy Spirit is provoking in you, you know, you really don't need that new thing. You don't need this. You can, you'll do fine without that. Why don't you take the money that you might spend on that and give it over here? Here's a, here's a missionary I want you, whatever it might be. Something in your spirit says, I don't, 
I feel provoked in my heart that that is going beyond what the Lord has for me. Why? Because we're submitted to the king of the universe. He is our boss, our CEO. And if he provokes us in our heart to give or to do or to do, shiny things can hold us back from even giving. Right? So the Lord provokes you in your heart. You should give to this person or you should give, you know, put some of your assets or time or energy over here. And then you say, no, why? There may be a subtext to this. Because in your mind, you're thinking, well, that will hold me back from having this that I envision having in five years or 10 years or whatever. It's that, and what it is, it's greed. I, I have to hoard. I have to bring things to myself. Uh, why? What's at the core of that? Because I like shiny things. Uh, and I envision myself having a, another home or this or that or whatever, you know, it, whatever it is. And again, there, I, there's no judgment here. I mean, we live in a wealthy place. I, I know a lot of wealthy. Many of you are very wealthy, certainly by worldly standards. When the average human being owns, uh, is, a, is worth about $300 on the face of the planet, as, we, as we've looked at before. So what is it? What in that moment, if you're provoked in your heart, you know, you really shouldn't pursue that. You don't need that. Well, it may be something as simple as, for it is written, a man's life does not consist what? His life does not consist of his possessions. In other words, life and possessions, well, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't go together always, right? Just because I have possessions does not give me life does not give me shalom. I, I don't know how many people we have to read and say, go down and read. I mean, you see it all over the, all over the place. Money does not make you happy. But in the, in the moment, in that moment of the temptation of greed, could be an underlining thing of just, I've got to have it. My eye sees it. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. And it will inform all of your decisions in life until you realize that this is a spiritual battle for my direction of my soul and my energy. And it can sap the energy right out of my life. For it is written, for a man's life does not consist of his possessions. Or you may take the first part of that. For it is written, be on your guard against every form of greed. For it is written, Beware, beware, be on your guard for against every form of greed. So you, you begin to see that this, this is how you bat. If you don't know the scripture, if you've not done the 2 Timothy 2.15 to be diligent to present yourself a workman, handling accurately the word of truth, if you're not that person, you will go around being tempted and maybe not even know you're being tempted. You don't even see. You're not aware of what's going on in the spiritual realm. You see the fallout potentially, maybe some depression, maybe a lot of other things that may be fallout of yielding to temptation. You, Many of us don't even know that we've been tempted and don't even know when we failed. The spirit, sometimes we can be so hardened that we're not even aware of the spirit's prodding anymore. So this is why we go into this. Okay, so now I'm going to have uh, I'm going to have our precious friends, uh, Marty and Barbara Jacobus, uh, very significant parts of Church of the Red Door. Many of you know Marty is involved with me at Lynx, Lynx Players International. Barbara does a women's study, and she, she's, so, she's spoken at a number of our women's luncheons. We're so thankful for the Jacobuses. 
And uh, they're going to read two passages. First, they're going to read, and I'm going to then give you a little explanation. They're going to read a second passage. But they're going to start, 1 Timothy 6 is absolutely key essential to fighting against this temptation of greed and shiny things, if you will. So Marty and Barbara, would you mind please reading 1 Timothy 6, 10 through 11? Well, good morning, church, and happy new year. I'm Marty Jacobus. This is my wife, Barbara. We're coming to you today from our home in India, California. And we've been part of the church since they opened that red door. Yes. Hi, friends. Today, our reading is from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Amen. Amen. Back to you, Pastor Jeff. Thank you, Marty and Barbara. Okay, so did you catch that? How might this apply? For it is written in that moment when you can feel the the, the temptation to just turn everything to yourself. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. I mean, it could be as simple as that. Or you, could, or you could go back, get your Bible, open it up, know where it is, write it down, put it on your computer, as I said last week, and battle this. Uh, or it may be, for it is written, flee what from these things, you man of God. Flee from these things. What? These things being the love of shiny things, the love of money. Money just buys shiny things. Flee from that, for it is written, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So again, beautiful picture that Paul is talking to Timothy, okay? He's saying, look, uh, this is just not the normative thing that happens in the world. Nobody, in the, People in the world are going to pursue money. They're going to pursue the things that their eyes love. And they're going to go after these shiny things. That's just our nature. That's our fallen nature to the exclusion of those around them, many who may be suffering. That's why part of the kingdom is a redistribution, a voluntary redistribution among, our, uh, uh, among people, uh, the people that are suffering, people that are struggling. And that's why the church has been the very foundation uh, oftentimes in many places and cultures the foundation for hospitals and, and going in and helping and homeless. I mean, I look right here in the valley. I see Coachella Valley Rescue Mission and Mama's House and the Narrow Door and all the other things that we are participants in. And this is, yeah, this is people giving up, potentially giving up the future of new shiny things to do what? To help those who suffer. Matthew 25, Jesus simply said, as you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. We realize that this is part of what we give up when we don't pursue the next shiny thing always. Now, I want to go to the next part of this and, and give some of this. And so Marty and Barbara are going to read now the se second part of this 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to have them read verses 17 and 18. And here's that second reading. Again, we're reading from the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on the uncertainties of riches, but on God, 
who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Amen. Amen. Now back to you, Pastor Jeff. Okay, again, thank you, uh, Marty and Barbara. Okay, did you catch that? Uh, for it is written, possibly this, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So maybe you're in the temptation. You're, you know, you really would love to support this uh, missionary or this person or this, or this movement or, or a church or whatever it is, or help feed the poor, or give some money to the mission or whatever it is. And there's a battle raging on, it, on, on, on the inside of you. And then all of a sudden you, you okay, so wait a minute, for it is written, instruct those who are rich in this present world to be, what? Generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves, what? It's an amazing thing. So they can store up for themselves this beautiful future, which is what, what he goes on to say in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So again, here we have some real places where we can battle as it relates to, to greed. And, to, and, and what, again, what's the foundation of all that? Uh, we just want what we see. And that takes usually do-re-mi. It takes, it takes energy. It takes money, cash, whatever, so that we can get those things that we most desire. And then lastly, I'm going to add one verse here this morning. Proverbs chapter 23, uh, verse 26. Now catch this. It says, give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes. Okay, so eyes in, the, in Hebrew uh, is ayin. Uh, and what this, the eye here, it can be mean literal eye, that, that gives me a picture of a physical world, but it also can mean uh, mental and spiritual faculties. So the eyes are not just, we can talk about the eyes of our heart and things like that. It's what your inner soul knows to be true, though it's not necessarily coming through your cornea and on your cones and everything and then sending uh, signals to your brain to get an actual physical, literal image. But it's also uh, an appraisal of what's around us. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, let your eyes delight in my ways. So there are two things that our eyes, our mental, spiritual um, faculties are doing. We're either focused on the scene realm and trying to accumulate and bring it all to ourselves, or we're also focused on his kingdom, his ways, those things that are most pleasing. Our eyes do both, either literally with shiny things or just the imagination of a perceived end result that's gonna make you happy. And what this is saying is these are temptations to pull you in. I saw, I think it was yesterday or the day before, it was a billionaire finally bought Neverland. You know, Mike, Michael Jackson. Uh, I mean, this is, a, if I forget for the amount of money, it was unbelievable. Uh, I think that originally they were asking $100 million or something crazy like that. And I think he bought it for substantially less. But $100 million, uh, Michael Jackson was able to produce something trying to be happy. I mean, those are all shiny things. I mean, Neverland. I mean, this is, he's going to create a utopia around him. And what we remember what we looked at last week so that you can sleep satisfied? He couldn't sleep. And as a result, he, he, get, he just could not sleep. And they were giving him, this doctor was giving him, as you may remember the stories, all these drugs that eventually killed him. 
Look, a man's life does not consist of his possessions. When we go to those that have the most possessions, it never seems to, to make them happy. And it leads, if it's an end to itself, it leads to an endless pursuit of shiny things. Again, one of the temptations through the eye gate, one of the temptations, one of the categorical temptations of what it is to be human and look around the world and say, I got to have it. I need that. I want that. Uh, and that's why, but it doesn't matter because it just it raises your lifestyle and then it'll take something else to give you that little dopamine shot, something bigger and nicer and shinier. It never ends. God loves to provide for his children. I, we, Laura and I are well provided for. Uh, we are well provided for. But I never want to fall into the temptation of always having to have more because a man's life. For it is written, a man's life does not consist uh, in or of his possessions. It is written. And again, here, Proverbs 23, 26, Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. Again, part of that wanting to be pleasing to the Lord. Okay? So uh, that is our, uh, I could do m much more on shiny things, but I'm going to be spending the m far majority of our times in terms of subcategories. And we're going to look at that this morning. We'll look at this in the week uh, following as well. I want to look at this issue, uh, this, this sin, this temptation of what I've called throne grabbing. Now, under throne grabbing, let me just show you how I'm kind of breaking this up. I'm talking about what happens when you're a control freak. That's part of throne grabbing, which then leads to discouragement. I'm going to give you a bunch of verses on that. Feelings of weakness and fruitlessness. This is usually a function of throne grabbing. Uh, we're going to look at that, give you a lot of verses. If you're feeling uh, weak and just like you're just not, you're inept and spiritually you're a million miles away and does God even love me anymore kind of stuff. If you struggle with judgmentalism, uh, if, you, if you, there's a lot of fear in your life, that usually is a byproduct of throne grabbing. You're trying to take sovereignty. Vanity issues, uh, gossip, slander, harsh language, temptation to highly regard worldly wisdom, temptation to lash out, anger issues, stinking pride. We're going to look at stinking pride. I hate it. I got a lot of it in my life. The spirit of it, and exclusiveness. And those are, those are some of the subcategories we're going to look at uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks. So are you ready for this? Okay, so we're going to move on into throne grabbing. Now, again, how did this manifest in the life of Jesus? Uh, well, it was simple. Uh, he showed him first. And he said, prove yourself. Throw yourself down from here and prove that you are the Son of God. In other words, you got to prove something. Prove yourself. Grab your own throne. Prove yourself. Uh, and again, it was the same way. It was the same temptation in the garden. Same kind of thing. And, and then when we looked at 1 John chapter 2, we saw that we call this the boastful pride of life. The boastful pride of life. I'll do it. And what happens is you have come right in alignment with the very reason that the Satan, if you will, the Satan uh, and again, I love Tim Mackey on that. The Satan is how it's always. It's the Satan in Scripture, uh, certainly in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Satan, the adversary, when he fell, he was trying to grab the throne. As we see in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, 
He was trying to lift himself up and be like the Most High. And I'll describe a little bit more what that means as we get into this. All right, you ready? So number one, okay, in this last 10 minutes, we're going to start here this morning. You ready? Uh, control freak. What happens when the control freak in you shows up? How do you battle that? And is that even a sin? Yeah, if you're trying to control everything and everybody around you, always trying because there's a deep sense, if I don't get this done, if I don't control this situation, that my life is going to be out of control or I'm not going to be happy or uh, it's not going to go my way. It's usually, it's usually an attempt to grab the throne. I, I'm going to dictate to everybody how they feel, what they do, where we go, and you just become a controller. And you don't realize that there's a temptation in this and, and it's deep. So what happens when you the control freak in you shows up? Well, Matthew chapter 6. Now this, we can apply to almost all these temptations. Now verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now you have to have this verse in your arsenal. You have to. Because many of these things, this could be applied to all three categories. This could be applied to, wait a minute. Seek first his kingdom. It is written. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And all these other things will be added. So those things that we're freaking out about and trying to control people around us are usually trying to mold them into an, imagine, an imagined image, an image in your mind that if my life can look like this, with all the people playing their requisite roles, then I will be happy. It will bring shalom to my life. So my, my, my pursuit here is not God's direction or God's kingdom. My pursuit is, whether I'm aware of it or not, is I'm trying to look down and control this kingdom. And as I do, then everything's going to work out for good, for my way. It's gonna, all these things are going to be, uh, be great. What a discouraging place to be. And we'll see in a minute why. Because we're not sovereign. We, we can't control people, places, and things. We can try. Usually what we'll do is drive those, drive those situations into more chaos. It never works. Control freaks may have a few sycophants that line their lives, uh, maybe because they're wealthy or whatever. But in the end, it never works. We're not God. And when we try to grab the throne, we're not pursuing his kingdom. We're trying to form a kingdom that we've imagined. And it may be, now catch this, it may even be a religious kingdom. Have you ever thought about that? The religious leaders of Jesus' day were able to actually justify in their own minds murder. Why? Of an innocent man. Why? Because they had a perception of a kingdom and it was a religious kingdom. And from their perspective, God was on the throne. But what they didn't realize is that they had subtly been tempted to take the throne from God. And that's why Jesus was able to accuse them of being of their father, the Satan, right? Why? Because they had justified in their own minds murder. They had left the kingdom. Their imagined kingdom, which they thought was God's kingdom, was actually part of the adversary's kingdom. Wow. That must have been, no wonder that angered them so much. No wonder it angered them so much. So you have to own this verse. Folks, you have to own this verse. For it is written, for it is written, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything will work out as God intends it to work out. 
So if you're con- if you're a control freak, and you've had people around you say, "Quit trying to orchestrate everything," quit trying, or people just the only people in your life are meek people who will submit to everything you say, or people who uh, look, you cannot live in that world. It will never bring you contentment, and it could cost you significantly relationally, and then ultimately in your calling as well. John chapter 15, verse 5. John chapter 15, verse 5. Many of you will know this well, but have you ever quoted this in terms of temptation? When you're trying to control an event, you see somebody and you go, okay, I got to set this thing right. I got to set this thing right. I got to set this thing right. I got to make all this happen. And we do it in the flesh oftentimes, and we do it in our own energy. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So when you're tempted in that moment, and you know this is something that would be apart from Jesus, could you ever justify slandering someone if Jesus was right there and saying, yeah, Jesus and I are you know, pretty much on the same page here? No, that would not happen. So Jesus is like, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. So if the Spirit moves on you to say, wait a minute, this is very much this attitude, this controlling issue, whatever, is very much apart from me. Now, you may be fully justified in your mind that this is the right thing to do at the right moment, but deep down you go, this is not the way Jesus would would move in this. Jesus might go away up on the mountain and pray all night about this particular issue. He would not strike out in this situation. He would not you know, use power to try to overcome and control somebody. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Now, we can do all kinds of things that bring chaos. But we can't do anything that brings order apart from him. And the order is the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a place of tremendous order. And as a result, peace and, and just beauty and joy. Uh, but when we try to control people, it just leads to chaos. Apart from you, for it is written, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Use that. That has to, again, be in your arsenal as well. Now, James chapter 4, James chapter 4, and then we'll wind this down this morning. James chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Are you a control freak? Do you try to manage everybody in your life? Just try to always get everybody in order? First of all, it's exhausting. It's exhausting for them, but it's exhausting for you. If you are always trying to orchestrate everybody's every move, it doesn't work. James chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Don't, it, it starts here, actually in 13, talking about don't go and say, I'm going to go into such and such city and make a profit, whatever. And then verse 14, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. In other words, okay, it's like James is shaking us here and going, wait a minute. You're going to say, I'm going to do this and we're going to accomplish this and I'm going to do this. Wait a minute. You're like a vapor. You're here today and gone tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do, you know, this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Remember, third category, throne grabbing, the boastful pride of life. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. Look, 
I, I will tell you, uh, it is a temptation for all of our leadership teams, trustees, elders, you know, executive team, everybody here at Church at the Red Door, pastoral teams. It is very tempting just to go, let's just plow for it. All right, that's, this seems right and we go for it. And then here's what we're going to do. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do this and we're going to build this. There's this real delicate balance between casting a God vision, something that has been prayed through and sought and been on our knees and say, okay, here's a God vision and casting vision, which is saying, okay, here's what's in the future without being boastful. Uh, let me give you an example. Okay, so the land, uh, ultimately the church, uh, the Red Door building, I mean, all this. Uh, we, yeah, we believe that we've cast the vision that we believe God has given us. But to get from here and there and timing and how and when and all that, this has not gone according to plan. COVID was not part of the plan. Go right into a building campaign, church, and get in the land and all this, and COVID, it sets us back. It's so challenging. We haven't even been able to meet since March 8th, as if I haven't told you that before. We're not going to say, we're going to do this. We're going to say, we believe that the Lord has cast this vision. Here's what he's put in our hearts. And if the Lord wills, then we will do this and that, according to James 4. We will get this building built. We will get this church built for future generations, far after us. We will set a, a landmark in the desert, if the Lord wills. But I'm not going to be caught up in the, well, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. I'm not God. I'm not sovereign. I have no time. I do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. These vaccines could just take off, and uh, by spring, who knows? Uh, we may, this may be in our rearview mirror. I don't hear many of those reports, but who knows? I don't know. Who would have imagined already that we would already be into, almost into 20, here we are 2021 now. And we're still dealing with this thing that emerged, you know, originally just, it was a Chinese thing. At Wuhan, it's not gonna get to us. Who could, who could really have thought that this was, I mean, we've had all kinds of viruses. I don't know what's going to happen in 2021. I could have never predicted 2020. If the Lord wills. I think just simply that, what a, what a way to battle. If you're a control freak, if the Lord wills, it is written, if the Lord wills, we'll do this and that. I know it's kind of a funny way to phrase that in the NASB, but that's what he says. Whatever it is. If the Lord wills, we're going to say that. We're not going to say, okay, in 2021, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this and this, and we're going to meet by this date. And here's what, no, we're saying the Lord is directing us. We are on our knees, his direction, his way, his place. And guess what happens? Those who tend to slide into control freak mode and grab the throne of sovereignty of which we have no authority to do. We are subject to the king. We are not the king. The king is on the throne. We bow before him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. For it is written, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. I'm gonna seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And we know that all of the things, for it is written, for all of these things work together for good. Now we bring in Romans 8. All these things we believe are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you see how the scripture just can run through your mind 
and now you add a little bit of this, do you recognize now, are you starting to recognize temptation for what it is? Most are just oblivious. They don't even know they're being tempted. They just walk with this. They have these feelings, this is who I am, this is what I do. They don't see this as temptation. I have a feeling or a thought or an idea or an impulse or an appetite. I'm gonna fill it. I want something, I get it. I'm gonna fill these appetites. I'm gonna fill what I want. My eye sees it. I, I, I want this, so I'm gonna control people. I'm gonna grab the throne. Do you see all this? We don't even recognize it often for what it is. The Lord wants to help you in this. This is why I think he's taking us through this step by step. He wants to empower us to be what? Because he wants to strengthen us. He wants to establish us. He wants to confirm us so that we can have a profound impact on this valley and around. Now, what was beautiful, and I'll close with this, what was beautiful, again, about our friends, my, my new friends, you know, Chase and Ron and Darla and Riley, what, what's wonderful about this is that they're part of our online community. And uh, they may be watching this morning. Hello, I'm welcome to the kingdom. I, I can't wait for you to come back and we be gathered down the road sometime. I'll bring you up on the stage and introduce all four of you to the Red Door community. But this matters. Lives are at stake. We need to be established. We cannot be cavalier. We cannot be immature believers who don't even know when a temptation is occurring. We have to be aware, as Paul said, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Next week, we're gonna talk a little bit more about those spiritual forces. The Old Testament calls it the host of heaven, but not all of them. Sons of God in the Old Testament. New Testament, different language, but Old Testament, sons of God. Stars, some of these have fallen. This, these are the forces that are set against you to bring destruction and chaos in your life. Who wants that? Nobody wants to be participant in that. So folks, I'm hoping this week even, I even got a text or two this week. Man, I was just one sent a precious friend and she said, I was on, it wasn't even 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And I had already had to say, it is written. And it is written and apply the scripture. I said, well, you know, welcome to the battle. So anyway, join the resistance. I'm thrilled about this. This morning, we will continue 2021. I'm going to pray you out before I turn you over to Pastor Paul for communion uh, for the new year here. But let me just pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for our community. I thank you for um, a community that we are still together. We are not able to meet physically, face-to-face, -face, as hard as that has been. But Lord Jesus, we are still a vibrant, unified body. And I thank you for those who may be scattered all over the country right now and, and uh, some not able to get here and others deciding not to be here this year. And, and even those that are here in the desert, I hate not being able to see everybody in face-to-face -face encounters. But Lord, uh, Lord, we want, as a community, we want to be established, confirmed, effective. Or we want to be strengthened in our walk. We want to be mature believers. So if you're out there right now, just tell the Lord right now, Lord, we want to be established and, and we want to be strengthened and confirmed, Lord. We really do. And so help us get through the suffering. Equip us, Lord. Give us the power and the motivation to fight against this crouching, roaring lion who only seeks to devour us, our callings and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.